Thank you, Dee. Thank you, uh, Andalyn, Paul, many others of you involved in chariots in one way or many ways. Hard to believe 10 years. Um, God willing, many more years in the future. Well, it's good to be back with you because uh, a few weeks ago, uh, my wife and I led a group of about 26 people to the Holy Land, and on one of our days, we went all the way to the north, where Israel's border is with Syria. We were able to stand there just a mile or two from the fence and look over and hear the stories, the sad stories of the past as well as the present. You may know that over half a million Syrians have been killed in that country by their own people. Many more refugees being dispersed into other countries and a very sad situation. That got me thinking, wow, you know, we're able to look here in safety in the country of Israel. Uh, we felt very safe and secure, uh, no problems there. I was talking later to an Arab friend in Jerusalem who is a Christian and uh, hearing some of the struggles that he's going through as a Christian, as an Arab in a Jewish state, and then trying to put myself in his spot, just like I was trying to put myself in the country of Syria. I was also remembering that in, in uh, April, I met a pastor friend who had recently come from Syria because he was over there to help pastors in Syria deal with the refugees and help the suffering that's going on there. And, you know, before I talked to my, my pastor friend over in Newtown, I didn't even think about that. That wasn't on my radar, right? Christian churches in Syria. You hear about the bad news, and here's the gospel going on. I shouldn't have been surprised. Then I talked to my Arab friend, who's a Christian, trying to navigate what does it mean with Muslim friends and neighbors and the state of Israel, and, and then we get back home. You know, we go to Newark Airport, you give them your passport, and they say, welcome home. And we all like, oh man, good to be here. Have you ever experienced and maybe are experiencing this, could we say, navigation between I'm a citizen of, for most of us, America, not all of us, but whatever your home country is, and then the Bible says we are citizens of the kingdom of God, if we're Christians. And those two are not competing, but somehow they have to be integrated together. That's always been true for Christians, and our series is entitled Strangers because that's who we are. We're in this kingdom, but we're also in the other kingdom, but we're blended. Well, how does that work? The Bible word that Peter uses to describe our identity is stranger, exile, foreigner, and we don't just exists there, we're here in the middle. We're at the margins, but we're not running away. We're engaged. We are loving. That's the title of our series. And we've seen that Peter 
um, calls Christians in the Roman Empire exiles. And that doesn't mean that they were refugees from their home country, probably. It means that they are not yet at their home country, heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. So this navigation is not an easy thing. That's why we're going to talk about it all the way through the month of August in the book of 1 Peter. In fact, um, last week, um, when our guest speaker Mike Kelly was here, he mentioned very quickly chapter 2, verse 9, where Peter calls the Christians a holy nation. Now, that wasn't his whole sermon, and you might have, uh, you know, he might have skipped over that so quickly, but think about that. This is the nation that we live in, and this is the nation. This is a holy nation. What does that mean? There's not a one-to-one -one correspondence there, right? And yet, Christians are another nation with another king, President Jesus, and another constitution, the Scriptures, and another place where we gather together called the church. So who are you today? Who are we in our lives? And uh, Pastor John Shepherd, when he started off this sermon, reminded us that there's some, could you say, different ways to integrate these. The first way is to not even start and to just segregate the two and say, we are so different that we are going to isolate ourselves. We're going to withdraw from that world. Some of you know that there are some Christians that do that visibly in Lancaster County, right? Um, but sometimes mentally, as Christians, we go into our own subculture, and there's very little interface with the world around us, only when there has to be. Another approach is what John called irritation. I might call it rebellion. In other words, we're standing here in the kingdom of God, and we're cursing, and we're ridiculing, and we're Everything that should be said, we can make it better. That's not a stance. We'll see this today. That's not a stance that the Bible says is good. No. And then there's been some Christians that say, you know what? It's just too hard. We are just swimming against the current. Let's just go with a flow. You could call that, what, assimilation compromise. And when Christians start to do that, they don't do it for long because they don't hold to their Christianity for long. Because why even say you're a Christian and believe what the Bible says if you're going to say, no, we're part of the system and we're happy to be there? No, the, those three ways to navigate this uh, tension are not biblical, not right, they don't work. The way that it works is the way Peter has been describing it from chapter 1, where he says, don't withdraw, don't attack, and don't dissolve into it, but, but remember, now here's where I want you to see, it's not that these two are polar opposites, 
but that the kingdom of God is above all nations, whether it's America, Mexico, Canada, Russia, China, Australia, name them as you wish. Roman Empire in Paul's day, Peter's day. And this kingdom is above eternal, multinational, and your relationship then becomes secondary when you're in the nation that you have citizenship in. So Paul can say, I have citizenship in heaven, but I'm here on earth. Can you see how that works itself out? That's what Peter's going to talk about today. And the one thing he's going to say is, that's supposed to mark that relationship, is that Christians, in whatever nation they're in, do good. That's what we're going to see. Now, today, uh, it's a longer passage from Second, uh, uh, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to show you the four things that he has here, and the way I'm going to do it is, I will put the scripture verses up and keep them up there with a heading above it, instead of reading through the passage all at once. So, if you're with me, I hope you have your own copy of Scripture. I'll put it up here on the screen as well because I want you to see some words that I'm highlighting. First point he's going to say is that Christians should do good to everyone. He writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits you. See where he calls them strangers, foreigners, aliens? That's who we are. And the first thing he tells them is not to do good but to not do evil, because there's a war on. There's a war. Now, when you talk about foreigners, exiles, and a holy nation, and you use the word war, the first thing I think of is, you know, yeah, war with ISIS or a potential war with Iran, you know, a national uh, conflict of sorts. Peter says, you know what, Christian, in that holy nation, in the kingdom of God, the real war is right in here. And it's between good and evil. So step back for a moment and get the big picture. The God who is good created all things good. You know Genesis 1? The first day, the second day, the third day. Very many times in that six-day seven-day creation story, God says he saw it and he called it good. And the last day, it was very good. Now, for, for our vocabulary, when you use the word good, it sounds like a kind of an ordinary word, right? You know, you go to Chick-fil-A and the, well, I shouldn't say that, but the, let's say the, the hamburgers are good. Maybe they're very good. But Oh, I shouldn't have even gone this way with Eric sitting here. And Jonathan, I think you're here too somewhere. Yeah. 
Oh, bad illustration. All right. You go to Fellowship Hall. You get a cookie off the table and you say, that's a good cookie. But in the American language, we have good, better, best, right? But in the Hebrew language, good was best. In other words, God didn't say, you know, there's the world and it's okay, right? It's excellent. So when you hear the word good, think in the Bible, think the way it should be. It's perfect. That's why when God created his image bearers, he said to Adam and Eve, you choose. You can choose to follow me and the good, or you can follow the evil and go your own way, Satan's way. See it? They chose non-good. They chose evil that they thought was good. And God continued then to say, I want you back with me. I am a good God. I offer you goodness. I offer you forgiveness. And of course, Jesus came to bring it. And God will one day fill the world, the universe, with a new heaven and a new earth in which goodness dwells, righteousness dwells. Now, can you see the whole picture then? That's the portrait that the Bible sets our citizenship in. The war is still in us. Verse 11 says it's waging war. And verse 12 says we need to show good lives. As Christians, we are good and we need to show it. So what Paul says is that there's a battle going on in this new nation. And you're part of the armed forces. And in your life, you're showing God's goodness through the way you live good lives. So in chapter 2, verse 1, back there, he said, we as Christians should put away sin like malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. And then the Bible gives other lists as well. Well, how do you do that? You do it by saying, I want to take the sin that I'm wrestling with and that I see and turn it around, if you will, turn it inside out so that it's good. Have you ever thought that every sin is a virtue turned in on yourself? Let's just take an example from some of the words that Peter uses here. Let's take um, greed. What is greed? Greed is wanting more and more for yourself. Well, what would, what would the virtue, what would the good be of greed? Generosity, maybe? Well, you say, how are they related? Well, in order to be generous, you have to get something to give it. Greed is getting it and keeping it. Generosity is getting it and giving it. Can you see how every sin, you could do a study on this yourself, is self-centeredness versus God-centeredness. And that's his first plea to the Christians 
in Rome. It's just like Jesus said in Matthew 5, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father that's in heaven. You see, usually people don't come to know God on their own without people showing them a little beauty from God. Jesus says, you take your life that's been made good and live it out, and people are supposed to, huh, what are you? And then they connect it. That's how the gospel goes out. That's what goodness does. And for some of you, you think, oh, man, oh, I'm not a missionary, and I can't go to Kenya and do all this stuff. And Well, here's something that I found really helpful. Ask people if you can pray for them. I did that with a, a friend of mine who's not a Christian. He started a new business a month or so ago. And, you know, he said, well, I hope I get, you know, enough customers to make this go. And I, okay, well, Jim, I'll be praying for you that you get a lot of customers. Now, he didn't say much. I mean, he knows I'm a pastor and all that. But I just thought, yeah, and I have been praying and uh, telling people about his business. So that's kind of harmless. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to say, oh, are you crazy? I don't want you to pray for me. Some of you know that Dave Pallison, counselor for many years at CCEF, went to be with the Lord very recently. There was a video that was sent out, and it was a video of the man who led Dave to the Lord in college. Uh, and in the middle of this video, there's the story about how this friend asked Dave as a non-Christian who was struggling with questions, well, Dave, can I pray for you about this? And Dave said on the video these words, I felt loved by being prayed for. You had listened to me. You had borne on your heart my cares and concerns, and you had brought them to a God that you knew, and I didn't. What a, what a beautiful insight into hearing those words, can I pray for you? We just heard a few minutes ago, right, how people are making an impact in Kenya. And again, that might be something you can do by way of contrib contribution or in some other way, make a trip over there. Um, but whether it's bigger deeds like that, little deeds, Words of kindness. How about just a text that says, thank you, or I'm praying for you. Um, we live in a, in a culture that uh, verbally is not always uh, building up, right? So kindness and words of patience go a long way, whether that's at the, at the counter at the grocery store or whether it's with a friend that you're trying to win to Jesus. That's the first point. Second point, he says, bearing down now in one way, you're a citizen of your nation. 
Here's how you should live. I pick it up now in verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover or evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So, citizen of whatever country you belong, what is your posture toward your country? In one word, Peter would say, submit, support. Stand under them and do good. Do you see what it says in the middle of this passage there? By doing good, we keep people's objections to Christianity away. Jeremiah recorded God's words to the Jewish exiles that were taken away into Babylon. Now think about this. Suppose you became a refugee, mistreated by attackers. Well, how do you think you should treat those kind of uh, overlords? Well, this is what God says, Jeremiah chapter 29. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you away into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I'm sure that was hard to swallow for many Jewish exiles who lost everything. And yet God says, no, you are under the government that is in place. Whether it's Babylon, Peter writing to Rome. Many of you that know history know Rome and Nero that Peter was writing under eventually turned on the Christians. That's why Paul writing under the same emperor, said, I urge you then, Christians, that prayers and petitions and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority. Pray. Remember I said a minute ago, pray for your friends? Pray for the government. You don't like your tax rate. You don't like the decisions that are made. You don't like the president. You don't like the congressman. You don't like, you don't like. So what do you do? You type it out or do you type it up? Paul says pray. Why? So that we can get a good government. No, pray, he says, so that we Christians may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Look at it again. These are not separate nations. It's the kingdom of God over all. And he wants all people who are Christians in every nation to just go about being a Christian and helping other people be Christians by doing good to everyone. Now, Chelton has some people 
that I know of that are involved in what you might call civic or governmental um, responsibilities. I think of a couple of our people that are part of Rotary, which is not a government organization, but it's a civic organization that does good in communities. We have one person here who's a township commissioner. And I suspect, because I know her, that every decision she makes, she's trying to do good, not just for the people she represents, but because she's in the kingdom of God as well. In a few weeks, we're going to have a guest speaker, Robert Kim, back. Remember Robert? He was the guest speaker who could pack two sermons into one. You remember? Because he talked so fast. I'm, I'm trying to learn to do that. To talk a little faster. But anyway, yeah, I guess you have to think faster too. But, um, but Robert serves on the Upper Dublin School Board. And he's not just doing it because it's a thing to do. He's doing it because he's a Christian and he wants to see good things happen in our schools. Our own Pastor Neil Culp serves on the Upper Dublin Faith-Based Initiative, where regularly he and other clergy get together in a school township building and talk about how to bring good. And again, if I know Neil, he's not doing it to just please people. He's trying to bring gospel values as much as he can into our school system here. More of you probably need to get involved. For sure, you need to vote when you can. That's a way of doing good, honoring the government that God has placed over us. Third, this gets harder. In verses 18 through 20, Peter talks to slaves, and he says this, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. You see it again? You do good, and then you suffer for it. That really hurts, right? Unjust suffering. Now, Peter and Paul address slavery in the Roman Empire. I have to say quickly, Never does the Bible condone slavery as an institution, and never does it try to revolt against it overtly. Instead, it covertly works against it by saying, Masters, Paul says it this way, treat your servants like brothers and sisters in love. And servants, obey like you obey me, obey those masters. Well, if you have that attitude going on, pretty soon the institution around it crumbles. That's exactly what happened in the Roman Empire. That's what happened in England and America years ago. Now, of course, there's still slavery going on in the world, slavery of different types. 
but at least our country, thankfully, has done away with the institution of slavery. Well, be that as it may, think about the principle of unjust suffering. Some of you have felt this at work. You missed the promotion because you wouldn't fudge the numbers. Now, if you did the numbers wrong and you didn't get the promotion, that's what Peter says here. Don't blame that on anybody but yourself. But if you live for God and do good and still get pushed back, rejoice. Suffer well. This can even apply in areas that are not uh, things that you're involved in, but they kind of sneak in through the side door, like physical sickness, untimely death. Can I say that I'd like to quote Dave Pallison again, who when asked about his uh, cancer that came on rather suddenly, he said, if, some, if in some way my faith might serve as a three-watt nightlight in a very dark world, why not me? If my suffering shows forth the savior of the world, why not me? If I have the privilege of filling up the sufferings of Christ, if he sanctifies to me my deepest distress, if I fear no evil, if he bears me in his arms, if my weakness demonstrates the power of God to save us from all that is wrong, if my honest struggle shows other strugglers how to land on their feet, if my life becomes a source of hope for others. That's good. That's suffering unjustly, and it has a good impact. And some of you might say, yo, wow, that's like impossible. I can't even, I can hear those words, but I don't even know, where does that come from? That's Peter's last point. And what he says is, we should do good because Jesus suffered unjustly for us. Let me read the passage here. And as I read it, Peter is reading Isaiah 53. That's a book in the Old Testament that predicted Jesus. Here's what it says in verse 21. Or 20, rather. Uh, no, 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now he quotes Isaiah. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. There's the gospel. If you were tracking with me for the first three points, 
and just kind of going on the surface, you might say, wow, that pastor is really telling us to, to do a lot of stuff. So I guess, yeah, I guess I need to do this and do that, and, and then I'll, I'll be good. But the last point, the gospel point, shows you how to do it. Because you read what I, I mean, you listen to what Dave Pallison wrote, and you say, I don't have those kind of internal resources. I don't, where, how can he say that? Instead of being bitter and angry and resentful, well, it's because of something that the Son of God did for you and me. He suffered for you. He bore our sins so that in doing so, we would get his righteousness. And when we get what he gave us, it gives us the resources to give to others. That's what it means that Christians are like Jesus. In his death, his suffering, his burial, and his resurrection. Jesus went through that cycle, that curve. And that's what we own. We live. And the resources that we have for it are actually being piped into us from our faith in Christ, and the Spirit works in us to do these good deeds. And so now we really can do good because of the good he did for us. That's what the gospel means. God's goodness becomes ours. It transforms our hearts. It gives us a passion to spread that goodness to an evil world that God loves and wants to restore. So that's why John Wesley is supposed to have said these words. And with this, I close. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Let's pray. Our good God, we thank you for the cross where you gave Jesus our sin so that he could give us your righteousness, your goodness. Lord, help us now to live as citizens doing good because you have made us good. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.